Welcome to the most energetic, positive, happy, and healthy podcast in the world. Living the dream. Dream stands for diet, rest, exercise, attitude, and meaning. I'm your host, certified health coach, motivational speaker, sober since July of 2016, American Ninja Warrior competitor, two-time world record holder, and ultra-marathoner, Matt Scaletti. Here we go! Welcome back to the Live in the Dream podcast. I'm your host, Matt Scaletti, and what an incredible guest I have with me today. At 335 pounds, Sue Reynolds, who is with me today, could not walk a block, fit in a restaurant booth, or even tie her own shoes. After failing one diet after another, she tried to lose weight one more time, but this time she had a secret daydream to finish a triathlon. That daydream gave purpose to her dieting and exercise, and she lost 200 pounds, finished her first triathlon, dead last, but we'll talk about that later, (laughs) and fell in love with swim, bike, and run. Along the way, she discovered an athlete and competitive spirit had been hiding inside her morbidly obese body. Three years after completing her first triathlon in last place, Sue finished sixth in the world and first American at the World Triathlon Championships. She conquered fear and pride to find the best version of herself had been there all along. Sue embodies a spirit of hope and a belief that we all have the power to transform our lives and the world around us. On top of that, outside of triathlon, Sue founded the American Student Achievement Institute, a nonprofit organization that helps community leadership teams implement change for the purpose of helping young people, especially disadvantaged young people, succeed in life. She has received numerous state and national awards for her work in systematic change involving schools and communities. I need a breather after that. This woman has done it all right here. Sue, welcome to the show. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I have to tell you, the intro to your show is always so full of energy. I love how you start your show. Oh, well, good. I do. Uh, Yours is easy because the energy's got to be high because you've done so much and have this insanely awesome story that I just want to dive right into if that's okay with you. Absolutely. You know what? I wasn't going to do this, but let's, if it's okay with you, can I kick it off by asking your age, which is the cardinal sin of all things to do? (laughs) Yes. I know. It's always so, um, people always hesitate to ask me how old I am, especially because I'm a woman and that's a no-no, but there are no questions that are off limits. So I'm very comfortable talking about my age, talking about my weight. So feel free to to ask whatever. Um, So yeah. So as of today, I'm 66. 66 years old. And really, I mean, I'm asking her that and we talked about this prior. So I didn't want to offend Sue. I think this is a huge part of her story, being 66 years young and just crushing it out there. Um, I'm glad you shared that. We broke the ice. Now we're diving in. Okay. <laughs> so let's talk about the beginning of this journey and how did you get up to 335 pounds? Can you give us a little bit of your background and lifestyle? And then we'll, we'll talk about losing all the weight. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to say that um, 
I made a lot of bad choices about eating, but for all the right reasons. And by that, <laughs> by, by that I mean, you mentioned that I founded this nonprofit um, that uh, focuses on helping students, um, young people succeed. And I absolutely loved my work. Um, I just retired a year ago. I worked in that that nonprofit for 20 years, and um, I I just felt it was a, a calling. It was a mission, and I was passionate about what I did. And I often chose to stay up all night, literally all nighters, um, working. Not because I had to, but just I felt that what I was doing had good purpose, and so I wanted to. And I found the best way to stay awake all night was to eat. So mm -hmm. in one all-nighter, I might eat three dozen cookies and a pound bag of M&Ms. And um, yeah, so as the nonprofit grew, so did my waistline. And um, <laughs> yeah, I just kept getting bigger and bigger until I was at 335 pounds. And um, I had tried to diet all through those years. Um, and I probably have failed before I finally became successful at losing weight. I probably had 50 or 60 false starts, failed diets. And, and I think that, um, you know, I've heard some, in some of your other podcasts, you talk about the power of your why and why your, your, your purpose is so important. And I think during all my failed diets, my why just wasn't strong enough. Um, at the time, my why was because society told me that um, uh, that attractive women were thin. And that was enough of a why to get me started with losing weight. But when there were three dozen chocolate chip cookies in front of me, it wasn't a strong <laughs> enough why to, to keep me away from them. And I would just eat and there's one more failed diet. So yeah, and then finally my why changed. And that was what made all the difference in the world. Um, at 335 pounds, I, there were so many things I couldn't do. As you mentioned, I couldn't even tie my own shoes, fit in a restaurant booth. I'd ask my husband every morning to put my shoes on for me because I, I couldn't reach my feet. My belly was just so big. I couldn't get around my belly to, to get my shoes on. And um, yeah, and I couldn't, I couldn't even stand and talk at the same time without gasping for air. I mean, when you're 200 pounds overweight that, you know, there's just a lot that you can't do. And so one morning, just I, I just had had enough and nothing specific changed. I think it was just the period in time of not being able to do things for such a long time that it was just enough. And I remember sitting at the breakfast table in front of a high calorie breakfast and putting my hands out in front of me and saying enough. And, and I said it twice, enough. And that was it. I just started making different choices at that point, um, just started different habits at that point. And um, yeah, and then my why was so strong, I was able to to stick with it. And um, that was, you know, that was the way it started. And I'm just so grateful that I finally had a different why that, you know, was important to me. Well, I'm grateful too, because I probably would not, not have met you otherwise. So that <laughs> is, and, and how interesting, if we can dive in for a second to, I was going to ask you this, and you kind of answered it, the moment where you pushed that food away and said, enough, enough. Can you talk about, do you feel there was just a lot of actions, clearly there were leading up to that moment. And then when the moment happened, what was going on in your mind as that you were pushing that, that food away? Yeah, I think it was just that I was so fed up. You know, it's one thing to be fed up for a day or to be fed up for a week. 
But to be fed up for years, it just kind of was at the point where I just hit that that moment where I had just had enough. And there wasn't really even a thought process that happened. It was just just something clicked. And it was just like, enough. I'm, I'm not doing this anymore. I need to make different choices. And yeah. So yeah, it was just kind of that point in time. Yeah. And that's, that's so powerful to talk about. I do talk about the why, but I love how you said you had a why. It just wasn't strong enough. And then you shifted the reason why, and that clearly changed everything. So for listeners and viewers, maybe you have a why, but it's not deep enough or strong enough to your core and to your heart to make a change. So that's, I think that's great advice right off the bat. So you, you push the food away enough, enough, and you start making changes. Yeah, tell us the story of how long did it take? And, and by the way, how does somebody who's that overweight think about a triathlon? I mean, I'd be thinking about going a mile. You're already at triathlons. How does that happen? So, um, yeah, so my, my first um, steps, I, I didn't know anything about healthy nutrition, um, didn't know anything about, you know, a healthy way to lose weight. But I had heard about a program that involved counting points. And so where all the foods have a certain point of value, and then you go up to a certain number of points. So I started that, that program, and I actually lost 66 pounds. Um, but then I gained all 66 pounds back or almost all back. And um, what I had been doing was I was counting points. So I was lowering my calories, but I was eating all my points for breakfast. And then I just wouldn't eat the rest of the day. Oh, oh, yeah. oh. So, so, you know, the, so it worked, I lost weight, but it certainly wasn't sustainable. It was not something I could do, you know, it wasn't a lifestyle change. It was just something that was temporary. And that was one of the lessons that I learned is that for a change to really stick with you, it you know, has to become a series of habits and it has to be something that you can sustain over a long period of time. It's not just something that you start and stop. So after gaining 66 of those pounds back, almost 66, then I said enough again. And, and that, that was really a, a major difference in how I handled things this time because in the past, I would have said, oh, another failed diet, and then just gone back to eating. But I'm just so grateful that this time I said, okay, this, this diet isn't working. Let's find one that, that can. And that's one thing I've learned through this all this journey is that if plan A doesn't work, you go to plan B. If plan B doesn't work, go to plan C. And, you know, if you end up all the way to plan W, that, you know, you just keep trying and trying and trying until you find something that works. So the, the second plan was to just uh, eat a, a healthy, um, healthy foods. And um, I looked at the National Diabetes Association and what they recommended and basically just started eating healthy, um, started eating five times a day, um, limiting portion sizes, drinking a lot of water, um, and, you know, the first three weeks were hard. I still craved cookies and candy bars, but after that, it got surprisingly easy. Um, you know, because I think after three weeks, I, you know, I could keep, keep coming back to habits, but after three weeks, I developed new habits. And so those were my go-to habits now, instead of eating a candy bar every time I stopped for gas, you know, it was just <laughs> a whole series of, of that. Yeah. 
so that was that's kind of the um, nutrition side of it, and yeah, it worked. I, I love. There's so many great points in there, and I love the idea of being sustainable. And I think you and I, as we talked before we recorded, we have somewhat similar stories. And I was an alcoholic and I changed everything quickly. And like you did, it only lasted maybe a week or two and I went back to the old ways. So sometimes it takes more than one shot. Sometimes it takes 40 shots, but I'm just so (laughs) glad that you stuck with it. And the sustainability, I think, is another great point that you said. And for anyone listening or watching, the diet, it just must be sustainable. And I'm with you. I don't even like the word diet. The lifestyle yeah. change right. must, must be sustainable versus trying to eat 12 avocados every day you know, for the rest of your life. That's just not going to happen. So I think those are huge points. I think that's so good. Okay, so you're getting the nutrition down and, and now you're starting to think about a triathlon or when did that all come about? Yeah, so, so my family had been nagging me about losing weight like all my life. I have two sons, they're both adults now um, and my husband and um, they've been nagging me about losing weight and also nagging me about exercise. So when I started losing weight, they, are, they were thrilled with the diet part of it and they kept nagging about the exercise part. And my husband for the umpteenth time said, Sue, let's go for a walk. And um, I had lost, I don't know, maybe 20 pounds at that point. And so I, I agreed and oh my gosh, that was the hardest thing I've ever done. I, I walked to the neighbor's driveway and back, which was about a hundred meters. And we had to stop to rest along the way. I mean, I'm carrying, you know, 200 pounds. I t- for people who've never been overweight, I, I, I tell them to imagine carrying a 20 pound bag of dog food out of the grocery store to their car and how that would be so heavy. But I was carrying 10 of those on my body, you know, and trying to walk with that. And it was just, you know, what I know now about heart rates and different training zones, I, I was at red line just trying to walk to the neighbor's driveway and back. But when I got home, I collapsed on the couch because I was exhausted. But at the same time, I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I exercised. I'm covered with sweat, but it's not because I'm hot. It was because I exercised. And sweat actually became the symbol to me of doing good things. Every, every drop of sweat that falls off of me, I'm thinking that's like a little, a little trophy for the exercise that I'm doing. And um, yeah, so I went from walking to the neighbor's driveway. The next day we walked two driveways and then three driveways and then a mile. And um, when I, in, in every time, and this is something I learned too, that I've tried to continue through my journey. Every time I made it to another driveway, I would text my sons and I'd say, made it to the seventh driveway. And they would text back and say, woohoo, mom. But that became an accountability system for me. Because I knew if I didn't text, they would be wondering, did mom not exercise today? Uh, So Yeah, so I've learned for me how important accountability is. I set it up now in everything that I do. Um, But it started back then with just my sons texting me back and saying, good job, mom. That was that was huge. Yeah, so when I got to three miles um, walking, I text my sons and my younger son, um, who was an adult, but younger, um, he, he sent me a text back and he said, that's great, mom. Now we can do a 5K. <laughs> and, yeah. So he got me started. Um, he, I didn't want to do it. I thought 5Ks were for fit people and for runners. And he said, no, you can walk. And 
he said there'd be people with strollers and dogs and you know you didn't have to go fast and so I finally agreed for him to sign us up for one and he sent me an email later yeah <laughs> but the first one that he signed us up for was called the Krispy Kreme challenge <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so my first my first event was named after a donut. It just <laughs> so, and the twist and the twist was at the halfway point they gave everybody a, a dozen donuts, and people would sit down and eat the donuts before they walked back. But I I I I did not eat donuts. I I just kept going. So, but it was a scary thing because I thought. I was worried that everybody would be pointing at the obese person. I, I was still majorly obese at that point. And, um, and they'd be, you know, whispering, what's the obese person doing at this, you know, this 5K? Is she crazy? She'll never finish. And, but then I had to worry about people thinking that um, I had come just to eat donuts. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so, but, you know, I did it and I finished and um, I, I, I learned about the kindness of the endurance community there. And um, I thought of myself as maybe, you know, I could see myself as doing physical things for the first time. And when I came across the finish line, I was, I was dead last and um, I was very far behind the second to last person, but they, the announcer got on the PA and everybody had gone home, but the people were still there cleaning up the volunteers but they got on the PA and they said, here comes Sue Reynolds and this is her first 5K and everybody stopped what they were doing and they clapped and I just, I felt like I'd won the Boston Marathon. I mean, it was just, it was just wonderful. But I learned about how kind people can be and especially in the endurance community because it's really, people aren't racing against others. Most people are just there trying to get across the finish line. So everybody cheers for everybody else and encourages everybody else. And I just, I fell in love with the endurance community at, at that point. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad. And I'd even think about that. I'm so glad you brought that up because I think that's a big deal. Having got into the running community about two years ago now, that's one of the first things I noticed is it doesn't matter if you're running six minute miles or 30 minute miles, everybody is just there to support one another. And I think I'm so glad you brought that up. For anyone that's listening to this, if you're thinking about going for the one mile, the 5K, please train, but get yourself out there because you will fall in love with so many of these people. And yeah. it's just, I'm so, so, so glad you brought that up. And I think accountability is also huge and, and being in a community where the normal behavior is the behavior that you're going after. And I think that's in Atomic Habits, which we are talking about. Yeah, yeah. And now, are your sons regretting that they did this because now their mom can smoke them in all of these races? <laughs> I don't know. My, my, my younger son is a runner, and he, he tells me now that I can run faster than he can, but I don't, I don't think that's true. <laughs> so... And my other son has gotten into hiking and stuff. So that's been really, I think it's been good for him. And I have four grandchildren now and my two oldest granddaughters who are eight and, and seven, um, they've told me that they're going to do triathlons now. So yeah, they oh. have triathlons for kids. So they're, they're, they're training in their driveway. <laughs> that has yeah. to just light you up. I can't even oh, imagine how it makes you feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. On, on Grandparents' Day, my oldest granddaughter 
um, each, each of the little kids had to get up and say something about their grandparents. And she brought a paper bag and in it, she, she brought out a, a running shoe and said, my grandma likes to run. And then she brought out a bike helmet. My grandma likes to ride a bike and swim goggles. My grandma likes to swim. <laughs> so <laughs> yes, it was a lot of fun. I, I have a lot of fun with them. Oh, that's such a great story. I'm sure you just were smiling and couldn't <laughs> off face. Oh, I'm sure that was amazing. So, so you, this is so good. So you're, you're going slow and steady. You start by walking a hundred yards or so, then you you get to a 5k and now you're starting to feel like maybe you can push yourself further. And then how did you get into the, yeah. the biking and how did you wrap this into your first yeah. triathlon? So totally by accident. Um, I, I started wondering, were there other kinds of exercise that I could do? And I, I took a water aerobics class, um, which is wonderful for people that are overweight because there's no impact, you know, jarring of joints and, and it's a great cardio workout. So did that. And then after class one day, I, I just got curious. Um, I wonder if I could swim a lap. And I, I hadn't swum since I was like 10 or something. So I wasn't sure I could make it. So I grabbed a kickboard in case I drowned. I planned to hold on to it all the, before the, give the lifeguard time to get to me. But I, I was able to, to kick a length. And then I swam a length without the kickboard, breaststroke, half part dog paddle. And just after class, just kept swimming, you know, length, and then I tried to make it a length and a half, and then two lengths, and um, and then I I didn't know. I mean, I'm 60 years old at this point, and my friends are like not into sports; they're crocheting, you know. They're they're I I didn't know anybody who did sports, um, but in the back of my mind, I remembered like 20 years ago, someone told me that their husband had done this thing called a triathlon and it involved swim, bike and run. And I thought, well, I can kind of walk, run. I can, you know, I can swim a little bit, you know, maybe I'll take a spin class. So in the spin class, again, I didn't have to balance on a bike, you know, you're riding on a stationary bike. So, yeah. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, oh, you know, maybe one day I'll do a triathlon. I didn't think I'd really do it, but it was so fun to daydream about just this pie in the sky dream. And it gave purpose to my exercise, which made the exercise a lot more fun. I, I really hate exercise, but when I'm exercising with a goal in mind, it's it's fun, it, you know, it's, it's there's purpose to it, which I, I love. So yeah, so finally, uh, you know, I could ride the, you know, the 12 miles on a spin bike, I could swim the, in the, in local triathlons, the swim's a little shorter. It's the, the ones around here are 400 to 500 meters. I could swim that and I could walk a 5k. So I thought, well, why not sign up for one? So, yes. so, so I didn't tell anybody cause I was fairly certain I would chicken out at the last minute. <laughs> so my husband knew he went with me um and and that was that first triathlon oh my goodness um i was terrified um i mean i you know i'm older i'm thinking oh my gosh maybe i'll have a heart attack am i really you know ready and so but i planned once i got out of the water i planned to have my cell phone with me and if i got in trouble i would just call my husband and say come get me i can't finish (laughs) Um, so but and that was another place where I learned about the, the kindness of the triathlon community. I had no idea what I was doing. I had never seen a triathlon. I'd never, you know, witnessed one. 
So I get to transition where you set up, you put all your gear so that when you come out of the water, you can get ready and grab your bike and go out. I didn't know what to do. Um, so another lesson I've learned is anytime I get into trouble now, I just find the smartest person, the person that looks the smartest in the room or in the environment, and I just go up and say, I'm clueless, help. So I found the uh, guy, a young man who had what looked like a very expensive bike, and I, I figured he knew what he was doing, and I just asked for help, and he just dropped everything he was doing. He showed me how to set up my bike and get ready for, you know, where to put my shoes for the run, and yeah, so that was that was great, and so I learned, you know, that was one of my favorite mantras is just go away fear that I can't if I, I can't let fear get in the way. And when I start to feel afraid of doing the things that I want to do, I just say to myself, go away fear. And when I do that, it like puts this invisible wall in front of me and fears what I'm afraid of is on the other side of the wall. And I'm on my side of the wall. And that fear is not going to impact me. I'm going to do what I want to do. I, I acknowledge that it's there, but it can't control me. It's on the other side of the wall. So, so yeah, so, and then the other part was just my pride. Um, I'm still majorly obese. I haven't worn a bathing suit in public for decades. And I'm just, you know, I'm just so embarrassed that there's, you know, hundreds of people there and I'm not going to be in my bathing suit in front of them. So I wore a, um, I wore a cover up until the very last minute. And then I, you know, my plan was to hand it to my husband and then before anybody could see me, I would get into the water. Um, so I, it's my turn to go. I take off my cover up. I give it to my husband. I turn to walk the six feet into the water. And wouldn't you know, the professional photographer is standing there <laughs> taking photos of me as all my jiggly parts are jiggling, trying to get into the water. So that's where the other mantra came about, which was just go away pride. Um, and really pride stops me more than fear. Um, I, there's so many times where I don't want to look stupid. I don't want to look ignorant. So I don't do something that I want to do. So I've learned to just recognize now when pride gets in the way. So, so yeah, so for those six feet into the water, I'm saying, go away, pride, go away, pride, go away, pride. <laughs> so, and quickly I'm into the water and swimming. But, but yeah, so that swim went fine. Um, I, I went very last, so I wouldn't be around a lot of people. And I dog paddled. That's another myth about triathlon is that you have to be a really good swimmer. You don't. Um, people do side stroke, elementary backstroke, dog paddle. I dog paddled part of mine, breaststroke. Um, you just have to make it. And there's there's boats along the way watching for you know people that need to rest. And you're allowed to grab onto a boat and rest. So you can just swim from boat to boat um, all the way. You just have to you know be able to make it around and, and out of the water. So yeah, so I walked into transition had no clue what I was doing. Um, I had brought a cooler, so I I put on clothes over my bathing suit. Um, I sat down, got my cooler out, ate a sandwich, um, brushed my hair because I wanted to be pretty on the bike. So went on the bike and loved the bike. Um, I Bike is my favorite event today. And um, I just love the way I feel on the bike with the, I feel like I'm 10 years old, you know, with the wind is in my face and I just love it. I remember I came into one intersection and there was a, a police officer there stopping traffic and I looked at him on my bike and I just said, wee, 
as I went through the intersection. I just had a blast. And, yeah, and then into the run, and um, halfway through the run, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to make it. And, you know, the only way back to the start was to, like, finish the race, so I knew <laughs> I was going to make it. Um, and then there's about a half a mile before the finish. Um, oh my gosh, I kind of hit a wall and I mean, everything hurt. I didn't stop running, but I started to doubt if I was going to make it. And um, But again, the triathlon community, um, you know, everybody else had already finished and they were headed home. And so there were a lot of people walking back to their cars. And, you know, I can remember one guy, one woman said, um, nice, nice job, runner. And no one had ever called me a runner before. I mean, in my whole life, nobody had ever you know, referred to me by an athletic term. And I thought, oh, my gosh, she called me a runner. And then another guy said, nice, good cadence. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I not only am running, there's something good about my running. And, and that, that just filled me with energy, and I made it across the finish line. Um, I think in that race I was second to last. But I, I, I remember crossing the finish line and holding up one finger in the air because, for me, I was number one. <laughs> I, was, yeah. I, I felt like I'd won the Olympics. I mean, I, I had finished a triathlon. I was a triathlete. It was just I will never forget that moment. Um, and, and people that do triathlons, everybody says that that first finish line, no matter where you finish, it's just the most amazing feeling. So, yeah, I so mean, that was the first one. Oh, there's so much good in there. And I'm just trying to write <laughs> all this stuff down. I mean, I love how you said, and, and this is the truth from what I've seen too, is it's basically all the athletes against the course from what I've seen. Because I was the same way as you, Sue. I thought it was... I'm against the person next to me and it doesn't feel like that at all. Uh, I love the, it's go away fear, right? Yeah. Go, just, away, fear, go away pride. That's uh, there's so many good takeaways and that's a perfect example of you do not have to be a triathlete to use a lot of what you're saying. I mean, this is, these are such great, such great takeaways. And I, I love what you said too. And I'm going to ask you a follow-up question about it. Uh, when the person, man or woman said, great job runner, I wanted to ask you, was it that moment or what was the moment where you changed your identity from somebody that is obese to now an athlete and a runner and a triathlete? Yeah, that identity change didn't happen for quite a while. Um, and actually, it was probably maybe a year to two years after that. Um, I really, I mean, my identity, my identity, my entire life had been as an obese person. So um, I really had a hard time thinking of myself as anything but that, even when I was approaching no longer being overweight, you know, that was my identity. That was who I was. Um, in when I started doing a lot of triathlons and ended up a triathlon coach, um, my coach sat me down and one day and he said, he said, Sue, you need to have some swag. And I thought, what does that mean? And he, you know, I thought, does he want me to be conceited and strut around? Or, <laughs> and, you know, I just, but he said, he said, Sue, you're really good. And you have some, you know, you have some potential. And I you know, I'm not saying that you need to strut around like a, you know, like you're full of yourself, but you need to have confidence because you, you, you know, you have, you know, you have it in you to, to be a decent triathlete. And I, I wouldn't go down that road. I mean, I said, no, I'm a athlete wannabe. I'm a pseudo athlete. 
Um, I can remember, you know, being embarrassed to walk in the, the bike shop to buy my first bike because I thought, you know, who, obese people don't buy bikes, you know, mm. I, I'll just break the bike when I sit on it. Yeah, so it was it was really, really hard um, to, to make that shift. And I used a lot of, um, I ended up after my coach told me that that was the next step of my progress was to change how I felt about myself, how I saw myself. I used a lot of self-talk. So every morning um, I would look in the mirror and just say, you are an athlete, you are an athlete, you are an athlete. And at first it, it just sounded so preposterous. I felt silly. I mean, I thought this is absurd. You're not an athlete, but I just made myself keep saying it. And little by little it, it started to, to stick. And um, yeah. And then again, at the point where I had lost the, um, when I got down to 160 pounds and was no longer overweight, I had a huge identity crisis there too, because all my life I had been overweight and, I can remember I thought I was anticipating I had been watching the scale and you know I kept thinking oh when it gets to 160 I'm going to go on social media and say woohoo I'm no longer overweight and um and I hit 159.8 and um and I thought oh my gosh who am I and I remember looking in the mirror and thinking you're who are you I mean it was like I was looking at a Martian or I looking at someone that had six arms you know or I just, I just didn't know who I was. And I, again, my coach was wonderful and we chatted and he said, Sue, you're not an obese person. He said, your new identity is that you're an athlete. And so that's at that point. So it was, that was like three years into my journey where finally I accepted that I have this different identity. Yeah, it took a while. It was hard. Yeah, that's, that's a, I didn't know all that story at all. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And we're just, uh, we're diving right in. This is this is such good conversation and the stories are amazing. And I love, I'm a huge advocate of self-talk as well. And I think this goes without saying, you've already said it, but it's the self-talk married with the action, right? Like if you just stood in front of the mirror and said, I am an athlete and then went back to bed and didn't work out, then, you know, that's, that's not great either. But if you get the self-talk plus start to take the actions, you've yeah. proven it. You just become unstoppable. And yeah. Who knows where the top is, but let's get into how you've just turned yourself into an incredible triathlete. So you, you finish your first one, you have a coach, which I think is an important part of the story. Yeah, you absolutely. surrounded yourself with people that are playing the game at a higher level. And then walk us through your successes that you started to have and, and actually being on this incredible team and organization you're a part of. Yeah. So I, I, um, I started when I, after I did that first triathlon, I, I just fell in love with triathlon. So I started doing a lot of them and started finishing first in my age group um, over and over again, which I thought was pretty incredible. But then I realized I was the only one in my age group. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it was pretty easy to be first when you're the only one. Um, so, and they're just in my age group, you know, I was racing at that point in the 60 to 64 age group. There just weren't a lot of women doing triathlon. So um, I had qualified for the national championship because I was first in one of the local ones where I was the only one um, <laughs> and decided to go. I figured I'd come in dead last against all the best triathletes in the world, in the country um, and was terrified. It was my first big triathlon, my first um, mass start. Uh, first time in a wetsuit, first time in a large body of water, 
the bike course went over a suspension bridge and I'm terrified of have been terrified in the past of suspension bridges. I mean, I was just terrified. Where, where was but this? Sorry to cut you off. In Milwaukee. Okay. In Milwaukee. Yeah. So we were swimming in Lake Michigan. Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So my coach, um, by that time, my coach had taught me to be coachable. So I was doing exactly what he told me to do. And on the swim, he told me to line up with all the other women my age group. There were about 100 of us. He told me to line up front center. So I did. And the air horn goes off. And we start swimming. And it, it, we were swimming to a common point. So everybody was getting closer and closer as the farther we went out. And like women's ribs are rubbing against my ribs. I mean, we were just like sardines. And I'm swimming along and my arm comes down in the middle of this woman's back. And I'm thinking, now what do we do? And I, th I thought about, well, maybe I should just pull back and say, oh, excuse me, I didn't mean to hit you, you go right ahead. But then I'm thinking this is a race. And so I just kept <laughs> racing. And in the process, I kept this arm going around and I shoved her underwater. And then I swam over the top of her and I, and I beat her to the point we were swimming towards. And I loved that feeling. Who <laughs> <laughs> has turned into no hold hard triathlete? <laughs> I just thought, oh my gosh, I you know, I, there's this animal competitor inside of me that I had no clue was there. Wait, let me just stop you, Sue. I had no idea, and I'm sure no listener did either, that that's what you were going to say to end that part of the story. <laughs> <laughs> okay, go ahead. It surprised me too. I mean, it was just like, um, yeah. So, in matter of fact, I, it really did kind of upset me because I, I, I remember thinking it, during the race, oh my gosh, you just shoved a woman underwater and you, you know, that was okay. And um, when I got home, I, I called my coach and I said, coach, I think we have a problem. I shoved a woman underwater. I liked it. And, and, and he said, he, he was all excited. He said, Sue, that's a good feeling. He said, that's that competitor instinct that we want. That's wonderful. That's, you know, we want that drive. And oh my gosh. So, and then he helped me get comfortable with it. He said, he said, I know on the street, you're not going to push anybody down. And if you bump into someone, you're going to say, excuse me. He said, but in a race, when you're going for it, you just go for it. And that's, that's acceptable. And um, in my life, I've always looked for win-wins, and I had to really get uncomfortable, get comfortable too. With in competition, there's a winner and a loser. I always felt sorry for people. You know, either I was going to lose, and I didn't like that feeling, or somebody else was going to lose, and I didn't like that feeling. So, but then my coach helped me understand that too. That in competition, everybody knows there's going to be a winner and a loser, and that's okay. So yeah, so so yeah, so that was where I learned I love competing, and then I came in middle of the pack um, when I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm, you know, middle of the pack against in a national championship without, you know, at that point, my triathlon was a hobby that, you know, I, I would not do a workout if life got in the way. And I thought, well, what if I really committed? And so I came home and told my coach, I, I didn't tell him like what I was thinking about, but I, I asked him, I said, I know that I'm 60, 61 years old at that point, And I know that I'm never going to be an Olympian. But I said, there's no reason why I can't train like an Olympian. And oh. yeah, why? I mean, there's not. Why can't I train like an Olympian? So I asked him, I said, would you train me like an elite triathlete? 
And he said, sure. <laughs> so we started that road. And um, yeah, at that point, everything changed. Instead of um, life revolving around triathlon, no, instead of triathlon revolving around life, life revolved around triathlon. And yes, uh, I was all in and just, you know, my mantra for the year was um, whatever it takes, no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. And I never, never missed one workout. And you know, really became dedicated to doing exactly what my coach told me to do. And a year later, we qualified for for the world championship and uh, the U.S. team. So, yeah, it was it was fast track. <laughs> so, yes, it was fast track. So you yeah. are you are on the U.S. triathlon team. The the U.S. age group triathlon team, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, this is just unbelievable. So, how long have you been on the team for so far? Uh, I've been to four world championships this year would have been my fifth, but it was canceled with COVID. Um, so, so yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I still look back and shake my head and wonder, I mean, to think that I went from basically being a total beginner to qualifying for, you know, the world championship in, well, in, in my, in my second year, in my yes. second year of triathlon, I qualified. So yeah, truth. that was crazy. So, but it's, you know, I, I, I've asked my coach, do I, do I have natural ability? And he says, not really, <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but I have a pretty good work ethic. So, you know, that it was just the hard work that, that made it happen. So, Oh, this is so good. And I'm just, there's just so many takeaways. So this woman sitting in front of me virtually <laughs> 66 years old, anybody watching this, listen to this, if you're in your thirties, forties, fifties, sixties, wherever you're at, it's possible. It is absolutely possible. And Sue, I got to be honest, I don't even think you were a beginner in the beginning. You were like less than a beginner. And now <laughs> you're an elite superstar athlete and the drive. And I mean, this, this whole story just blows my mind. What's, <laughs> let me ask you this. For your daily habits, are there, and they don't necessarily have to be athletic habits if there's other ones. Are there certain things that you must do every day to make sure Sue Reynolds has a great day that day? Yeah, the I think that when someone has a goal, no matter what the goal is, a goal for a promotion at work or to hit a new sales level if you're in sales or to succeed in losing weight or in something involving fitness, whatever someone has a goal, what's really important is to get to that goal, it, it takes just a lot of little steps over time. It's, it's, you know, any big goal is really just a lot of little steps over time. So the important thing, in my opinion, is just consistency, you know, just making those little steps. And, and I messed up. I mean, there are times when, you know, my husband might bring a, um, um, a jar of, you mentioned that you like, um, Almond butter, was that your thing? Oh, yeah. Love it. I'm obsessed. <laughs> so, I'm obsessed. <laughs> my, mine is hot fudge. So, oh. you know, my husband will bring a jar of hot fudge in the house or or I'll I'll bring a jar of hot fudge thinking that I'm going to be really disciplined and eat one, you know, one teaspoon a day. But and then I'll sit down and eat it like it's soup, you know, just <laughs> the, whole, the whole jar. But so, but, you know, we all have mess ups. But then it's just about getting back on track, you know, not skipping a meal after that, but just getting back on track. So, so yeah, so it's about consistency and then discovering the habits that you need to make consistent. 
Um, and I think the hard part, at least for me in the beginning, is figuring out what those habits were um, and, and then how to stick on the habits. So to figure out what the habits were, I started, um, I started like um, studying healthy people. Um, the most healthy person I knew at the time was my daughter-in-law, who um, is just an amazing person. So I would just watch, like, what did she eat? And I just started copying her. I thought, again, I thought, I'm not a healthy person right now, but there's no reason why I can't act like a healthy person. So I would just study what she ate and how she behaved and, um, you know, kind of tried to copy that as my habits. Um, and then you've mentioned in some of your other uh, podcasts about um, also hanging around people that are like you want to be. And so I went to the YMCA and, and you know, just to hang around people that were the way I wanted to be and also to study their habits. What were they doing? So, yeah, so, you know, that was, I think, from the beginning, figuring out where those habits were. And then another thing, I love your podcast. Another thing that you've mentioned, I forget your words exactly, but it was making it easy to make the, to make the choices in those habits. So um, for me, that involved, like, controlling my environment. I'm really not a very self-disciplined person when it comes to food, but I'm, yeah, you too. Yeah. <laughs> And I can control my environment. So for you, it's not bringing the almond butter in the house. For me, it's not bringing the hot fudge into the house. Um, and if there are foods like cereal, I will sit down and eat a whole box of. And my husband loves cereal. So um, we, I, you know, we did a sit down, the two of us. And I said, honey, that's so hard for me. You know, I understand you love your cereal, but can you hide it? And so, so I mean, as we speak, there are there's cereal and peanut butter hidden somewhere in my house, and when he when he wants it, he gets it. So you know, it's just controlling the environment so those habits become easier, you know, to to make. So yeah, so and then eventually those habits become easy. Um, you know, I've learned that if you can, for me, if I can do something for 16 days. I only have to have enough strength to do it for 16 days and then it becomes easier and it's a habit and it's just something that I do. It's become part of the routine. So, so yeah, so all my foods now are, are habits. Um, I, I've learned that I, I just, I eat the same thing every single day and I have for like years. <laughs> so it just, I, it makes it easy because I don't have to think about what to eat. I know, you know, I know exactly what I'm having for every meal and pre-workout, post-workout before I go to bed. So I'm eating six times a day. Um, but yeah, so it's just, you know, following those habits and then, you know, the habit of doing my workouts in the morning and, um, you know, just, you know, whatever is important to me, I figure out what are the choices that I have to make to make that happen. Those become my habits. And then I just commit to that. I love the mantra, no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. Mm. Because, you know, if one of those habits, you know, if I, if I, I've learned that excuses always, for me, they always start with, yeah, but. So mm -hmm. if the excuse is, yeah, but I'm tired. Yeah, but my husband has to have his cereal, you know. Yeah, but whatever. Um, you know, that to me, I've learned that anytime I say those words, that just becomes an action plan. And mm -hmm. I say, yeah, yeah, but my husband has to have a cereal. Now, what am I going to do about that so that I don't eat it all? Um, yeah, but I'm tired. Well, what am I going to do about that? So tomorrow I'm not tired and can have a better workout. 
Um, so yeah, it's just a, a matter of committing to those habits and then figuring out a way to make them easier. Oh, there's so many gems in there. There are so <laughs> many gems in there. And by the way, I think I might have to take the no excuses, whatever it takes, find a way. I'm in for that. I love that. And I love how you said, and you're so humble when you speak about it. I totally agree with it. It's not necessarily discipline because I get that a lot too. You must be so disciplined. And I'm like, well, actually, it's like the opposite with food. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you. Just you can control the environment. So whenever I open the fridge, the only thing in there I see with my eyes is healthy food. And I yeah. think that's such a smart decision that's clearly been working for you for six plus years and probably going to be another 40 years. So I, I, this is so good. And as I'm sure a lot of listeners, viewers are thinking, you're probably thinking Sue should write a freaking book because her story is insane. Good news, everybody. She has, and it just came out a few months ago and it is called the athlete inside it is right to her over her right and left shoulder we can actually see it on both sides i mean i think i have a guess as to what some of the book is about but can you go into some more detail about the book and that whole process yeah the the book um it's it's about my journey um we've talked about two parts of the journey the the losing weight part and the fitness part so there's you know the book kind of tells those stories about that. Um, and then there was a third part of my, my story that was totally unexpected, a spiritual side. So um, yeah, that was really interesting. I, I learned that I felt like God was reaching out to me um, through triathlon. Um, so I wrote about that in the book too. It doesn't appear into the later chapters because the book is chronological and it's in the the later part of my journey. Um, and it's just, it's a chapter and a half where I tell the spiritual part. But so if somebody, if that's not their cup of tea, they can just skip over those chapters. But if they're curious about, you know, what's it like, at least for me to, to kind of, you know, uh, improve my relationship with God, out of curiosity, they might, you know, find those chapters to be interesting. So yeah, so it's just, um, it's just about my story, starting with 335 pounds and ending up at the world championship where I finished sixth um, and was the first American. And um, I tried to not, I tried to tell a lot of the hard parts as well. Um, a, a lot of the reviews on Amazon, people have mentioned that I was very humble in the story. And, but I think that that's, that's just part of life. I mean, I did have failures and um, there were points where I cried and um, yeah. So it's also, the book also is about the relationship between me and my coach. So my coach is younger than my children. So, you know, I had to get used to this young whippersnapper telling me what to do and scolding me if I didn't do it. And, um, but it's really, he was really good at building my trust and then building my confidence. And, you know, in, and I think that that, that is really a beautiful part of the journey about that relationship. I think the coach athlete relationship is so unique. Um, it's just, it's a, just a very special relationship. So uh, that winds its way through the book too, about how he had to earn my trust and how I didn't do what he told me to do in the beginning. I, I, I thought I knew more than he knew. And so, but he kind of curved me in and so, yeah, so it's it's was a fun book to uh, to write. Um, it's done very very well, which is fun. Um, I wrote it for for two reasons. Um, 
One was I realized a little video that I did went viral on on you on uh, Facebook. It had like three hundred thousand likes. I mean, it just was oh. crazy. And that made me realize that I had a platform that I could use my story for sharing messages that I wanted to share. Um, so the messages that I tried to weave into the book really applied to all parts of life, not just sports. But, you know, there were the message that you can transform your life at any age. You know, my, my story is certainly proof of that. <laughs> um, and then the, the power of kindness. Um, I would not be here without, you know, perfect strangers having, you know, said just, two words to me at the right moment that made me keep going. I mean, I think kindness is just amazing. Um, and then the spiritual side was a message I wanted to, to share too. So, so yeah. And then I also started thinking, well, there's proceeds from the book, you know, how can I use these proceeds to help people as well? And um, I started looking around for a home for that, that those funds. And one of the th things that really spoke to me as I've watched people with uh, physical disabilities and uh, visual impairments participate in triathlon, oh my gosh, what inspiration to see someone who's missing, you know, part of a, a leg, you know, in, in the run and, you know, watching people who are blind, uh, you know, swimming with a guide swimmer. I mean, it's just, it's just, I get so inspired by folks with those challenges and what they accomplish. So I've decided I wanted to put the funds um, in that area and found USA Triathlon Foundation does a lot of work to help those with disabilities participate in, in, um, in triathlon. So 100% of the proceeds from the book are going to USA Triathlon Foundation for that purpose. And I'm just really excited that I hope both the messages in the book and then the funds from the book can give others hope as they chase their dreams. So. I, I don't think we can let you just gloss over that 100% of the proceeds, 100% of the proceeds <laughs> she is giving to an amazing cause. That is that is unbelievably powerful. And you're not only a great athlete, you are just selfless and mm -hmm. humble. And I love it. This is amazing. Well, and, so, many, so many people helped me along the way, and I, I feel like I'm just paying forward the kindness that was that was given to me. But for anybody who purchases the book, The, the Athlete Inside on Amazon, um, just keep in mind that you're donating to a really good cause when you do that. So you're, you'll, you'll, I hope, have a, a story that you find uplifting, and then also you'll be donating. So, yeah. I love that. I'm so glad you said that. And I would have got that out of you anyways, because I would ask a lot of questions, but that that's the athlete inside is so Amazon is the best way to get the book. Uh, it's available on, on all the online booksellers. So um, Barnes and Noble, IndieBound, um, Amazon. Yeah. All of okay, them. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. And, I, and, and reviews really help. So, um, so if you like it, or even, you know, just honest, if you don't like it, you know, feel free to write a review on Amazon. Well, I've seen how many people liked it and it's five star across the board. So I know I'm going to be in that category as well. It just, this is such a great story. I feel like I did my homework pretty good, but I did not see the 300,000 like video, which I need to do as soon as possible, right when we're done here. I'm checking that out. And I love what you said. I want to go back real quick. When you're talking about Facebook and maybe not everybody posting is going to get 300,000 likes, but if you get one like and somebody makes one small change in their life from a Facebook post, 
Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever it is. I mean, that could, that could completely change somebody's entire outcome of their life. So I think that was powerful that you said that because it is, I mean, it's a platform for, I guess, good or bad. And clearly you're using it for inspiration and good. And I wanted to thank you for that because you post some great stuff for sure. Great. Thank you. Oh, it's the truth. Okay. So I need to ask about something because we haven't, we touched on it, but if you want to go into more detail, the American Student Achievement Institute, can you tell us about it and why you started it? Yeah. uh, So um, a long time ago, like 25 years ago, um, I got involved in a project where as an educator, I was a, a, at the time I was a school counselor, I taught science um, before that. We were asked to look at disaggregated achievement data. And I realized that different student groups were achieving at different rates. Um, you know, affluent white kids would succeed at a very high rate and uh, students of color and especially um, students um, from lower income homes were not succeeding as, as much. And, that just kind of broke my heart, um, you know, and I started thinking about, you know, all the opportunities that, um, you know, higher income kids have that lower income kids don't have and um, worked in my own school to change that situation and um, and did so. It was amazing. In, our, in my school, we decided that every single student in our building in a public school would be college bound, no matter who they were. So that meant as educators, we had to go after the kids who didn't see themselves as college bound or had special challenges or whatever uh, to give them the extra support that they needed. And yeah, so went from there and doing that in my own school. And then as a hobby in the summer, started teaching other, other schools how to do that. And then it just kind of ended up, we were doing so much of that training with other schools that it just made sense to... Um, quit my job and start a nonprofit and do it full time. So we've worked with, um, and we bring the community in too, because we think that part of this is, is cultural change. So you can't just change the school, you have to change the whole community, um, you know, so that the whole community has different mindsets and different expectations of youth and, and all youth, not just youth that are easy to reach. So yeah, so we've worked with about 400 um community leadership teams, um, including like the mayor's office and business and industry and um, service organizations and, you know, just just everybody who cares about youth, we would bring to the table to have discussions specifically about data um, uh, and to look at where are the groups of students who aren't achieving at the same rate as their peers and then to figure out why and then to figure out what supports they needed to, to close those gaps. So yeah, it was very rewarding work and certainly warranted all my all-nighters <laughs> Just, <laughs> so, so yeah i i love that work and um it was it was a uh, difficult to retire from but now i get the train all the time so that that was good that's a good point so you are completely retired and now you're full-time all-in world championship triathlete yeah well trying to trying to head in that that world championship direction i did qualify for Worlds 2021 um, in Bermuda. So I'll be, yeah, so that, that'll be a fun race. Oh, yeah, I'm going there. That's not a bad little trip right there at all. Yeah. Bermuda. When is it? When's the date? Do you have the date? 
We don't have the date yet. Um, they, you know, all the races this year have been canceled and that was um, almost all the races, but all of my races were. Um, so the nationals was canceled. And so, so the, the organizations that put these on are still kind of scrambling to kind of move everybody to 2021. So it'll be in, in, in October, I think is the month that they put it in, but we're not sure of the exact date yet. Oh, that's exciting. I can't wait to cheer for you. And I'm sure a lot of people <laughs> will do so. Maybe, maybe I'll just tell my wife, you know what, honey, I'm sorry, but we have to take a trip to Bermuda to root somebody <laughs> out. It's a tough place to go watch somebody, but there maybe we we'll have to go. <laughs> oh, this has been, oh, this has been so, so, so good. Uh, the book uh, the Athlete Inside. I hope a lot of you go pick it up. It's, I can't wait to read it myself. And this whole interview and talking to you, I feel inspired. And I'm sure a lot of people listening and watching do as well. So we gotta, I got to get you with the final five. It's this rapid fire five questions at the end. Are you ready, Sue? I hope so. <laughs> oh, by the way, my stress. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to our good friend Ben, who's the one that connected the two of us. And Ben, you're the man because yeah, thank you, Ben. Uh, this is a special woman right here. So, okay, here we go. Before I give you the final five, what's the best way? We know the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, etc. What's the best way? people can root for you and follow you and maybe even reach out to you if they need a virtual or live speaker once the COVID is over. Yeah. So my website is suereynolds.net. So Reynolds is R-E-Y-N-O-L-D-S, suereynolds.net. And there's links to all my social media there. There's a contact link if you want to jot me a, a comment or a question. Um, and then I'm also doing virtual um, speaking right now. Um, I have a speaker's agent who has given me permission during all this social distancing to do virtual presentations at no cost. So I'm loving doing that for book clubs, for sports triathlon clubs, um, for sports shops. Um, yeah, if there's any, you know, social club, if there's any group that is looking for a speaker, I, as you can see, I enjoy talking and telling <laughs> stories. So um, I'd be happy to do that. So SueReynolds.net. That's perfect. SueReynolds.net. I'm actually looking at the website and I did before this, but it's a beautiful website. And one word to describe Sue Reynolds is badass. <laughs> but she is amazing. And make sure if you see her in person, be nicer so she doesn't shove your head under the water for a long period of time. <laughs> All right, here we go. Final five. Here we go. How do you want to be remembered? Um, I think in a couple of words, just um, kind and um, also someone who filled people with hope. I love it. I love that. What is Sue Reynolds most thankful for? Um, without a no question about that, my family. I have a wonderful family and love them to death and they're, they're my everything. I love it. That's a beautiful thing. Now, you've seen some of the podcasts before, so you may have heard this question, but I don't know. If I see Sue Reynolds at a, at a wedding reception and she's dancing, what is her go-to dance move? I did see that question and I asked my husband how I should answer. And he, <laughs> he told me that I have no dance moves. And then after, after thinking a little bit, he said, well, there is the hokey pokey. <laughs> so... So, and, and really, it's kind of, um, it's, you know, it's kind of represents life. My best move is jumping all, you know, when they say at the end, 
you know, put your whole self in, put your whole self out. I'm best at putting my whole self in in the ho- in the hokey pokey. That is a strong. <laughs> that was well said. A little symbolism in the answer as well. <laughs> I like that. Okay, what is the biggest obstacle you've overcome? Uh, my pride. Just when pride gets in the way and learning to step forward, even though I'm embarrassed or you know I'm afraid of being embarrassed. So yeah, pride. That's well said. I, I, you, that was so interested that we went into the, the pride part because I, I didn't know that part about you. And I, I love that because I think pride, that can be a tough one. That's a, that's a tough cookie right there. All right. Last one is who is your hero? Oh my gosh. I have a, a lot of heroes, a lot of people I look up to. Um, first person that came into my mind just in a sports sense is Gwen Jorgensen. Um, She was the Olympic gold medalist in triathlon in 2016. And she just um, has the most wonderful work ethic. She believes in process goals rather than outcome goals. So like she Mm. wants to be on the podium and get gold at, at the Olympics, but she knows that to make that happen, she needs process goals for what she does every day. And she focuses on those process goals. And I, I just love that about her. And I've, I've tried to copy her in that, in that, in that part. So yeah, Gwen Jorgensen, she's, and she also endorsed my book, which is really, really cool. Oh to have your hero, to have your, to have your hero endorse your book is, is awesome. Wow. That's incredible. And yeah. I love, I love how you said that. And she said that with the process driven versus, cause it's controllable, right? You can control the process. You, you can't necessarily control the outcome, but that's, exactly. I love that. Oh, this has been so, so, so good. Sue, thank you so much. Sue Reynolds, Reynolds.net. Check it out. Snagger book. It's proceeds are going to a great cause. I can't thank you enough for uh, sharing the afternoon with me. Thank you very much. I've enjoyed it. And I'm, I'm a subscriber to your podcast now and I will listen to your future ones are excellent. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I think you're going to have to be a repeat visitor once you dominate the world championships. (laughs) Well, we'll see. Fingers are crossed. Thanks again for your time, Sue. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of living the dream with Matt Scaletti. I'm so grateful for you. Please share this podcast on your social media so others can benefit from this valuable content. Also, please subscribe to my podcast because if you aren't, I am watching you. (laughs) Check me out on social media and message me if you need me as your keynote speaker at Matt Scaletti on social media. I respond to all messages. Thanks and I love you so much. Oh, 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 oh,